Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Hola, hola, mi gente. I'm Jessica Yanez, and this is the Wine and Chisme podcast. A podcast created to amplify voices and share the stories of people from BIPOC communities doing remarkable things. All while sipping on a glass of wine. So welcome to your new Wednesday. The Wine and Chisme Wednesday. Hola, hola, mi gente. I hope everybody is doing good today. Today, uh, my guest is Christine Vega Perez. How are you, Christine? I am so good. Thank you for having me here. Well, I am excited to get all of the chisme about all of the things. But before we get into the chisme, we always start with wine. So what are you having tonight? So I actually have just my regular go-to, which is Apothic Red. It's a red blend. Oh, I've had Apothic. Have you had it? Yeah. I really like it. My cousin got me on this one. And yeah, it's kind of just my go-to that I usually have at the house. So let me tell you, my friend loves wines that have been aged in whiskey barrels. And I believe Apothic has one that has been aged in a whiskey barrel. And it just gives it this like um, but it's, and it's really, really good. Oh, I'll have to try that one. I don't think I have. Yes. So, well, today I am drinking a, the, this is the last glass of my Cremosi Vineyard 2018 Pinot Noir out from Oregon. They are a Latine owned winery based out of the Willamette Valley in Oregon. And I had the, I've had this bottle since September. So this is my last glass. But so I finally popped the cork because I have like a something that I don't have to take the cork out. Okay. I was like, well, this is my last glass. I can pop, finally pop the cork. And it's only gotten better. Ooh. Like each month that I've tried it, I had a, a glass in September or October. I had a glass in October, glass in November, I think. So this is the last one. So salute. Well, salute to that. Hmm. So good. So good. I'm telling you my, la- I love my, my, you like my penny sound effects. Oh, I like it. I was ready to do it too. Do it. There we go. <laughs> I think you have to have the right glass. Yeah, my, have to, that, I know no one can good, see your like, glass, but your glass is like the ultimate wine glass. I like that. Thank you. So, okay. I got these wine glasses. So it's like, it's a traditional, I guess, kind of like more of a traditional red wine glass where it comes out and then it kind of tapers back in. So basically you shouldn't, um, where it tapers out, that's like the highest you should fill your glass, which is still mm-hmm. a good amount of wine. Mm-hmm. No, but especially with, you know, we tend to fill our glasses up so much. And even if you go to a restaurant, you can always ask them to bring you half of it. And then the other, like, because you want your wine to grab the oxygen and it to get the full flavor and everything. And if you fill it up, then you can't do the whole the swirl, the swirl. Yeah, you can't do anything if it's too filled up and you're going to end up wasting your wine. Well, I'll be honest, I'm guilty of filling my cup too much. (laughs) So I'll I'll be mindful of that going forward. So have I. I've been (laughs) guilty of that many, many, many times over. But now that I'm learning, sure, yeah. the more that I'm doing, the more that I'm learning, it's like I'm being more mindful. But believe me, there are times where I'm like, just give me the bottle. <laughs> <laughs> just Forget leave that the here. glass. Just give me the bottle. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me read before we get into it. I'm going to read your bio. Okay. Um, so Christine is an RN and life coach. She has worked in the healthcare setting since 2007 and holds a Master of Science in Nursing and Healthcare Systems Management. Being in the healthcare industry for nearly 15 years, she has gained a lot of experience in quality improvement. 
It is an integrated part of nursing and healthcare, an industry that is always striving to improve because they are dealing with people's lives. Which got Christine thinking. Why not apply the strategy she's learned to the most important industry of them all, our personal lives? She found herself utilizing these tools more and more. And as she grows older, because let's face it, being an adult requires taking risks. And then that's when we don't want to take the risks the most, right? Yeah. We have to make decisions, important decisions, stressful decisions, difficult decisions. And then we can only hope that our choices bring us happiness, however that may look for you. Well, thanks for my intro. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. No, it's better. You know, we'll get into everything, but that's just so true. When we're young, right? We're in such a hurry to get older. I want to be older. I want to be able to drive. I want to be able to do this. I want to be able to, I can't wait to go to college. I can't wait to drink. I can't wait to whatever, whatever, whatever. And then you get to do all of those things. One, what are you looking forward to? Like, how can you continue to create the things that you are looking forward to for your life? But those are decisions, right? And mm-hmm. as kids, we don't think of them as decisions. We just think of, oh, it's just that. Yeah, okay, yeah, I'll do it, whatever, whatever. But yeah, you don't think of the impact when you're the, a kid. Versus and we're just unaware it. of all of the, the risk that is involved, you know? Yes. So as we become adults and we're experienced, and we've faced, you know, hard times, difficult times, we're fully aware of the risks that come with every decision that we make. And so it can be a little more scary and overwhelming and harder to actually make a move and decide on something or go for the thing that you really want because you're so afraid of all the things that could go wrong with it. Absolutely. Well, I want to start back for with you growing up. You had actually mentioned it in the bio, but I just took it out because I wanted to ask you about it, that you are... Mexican and Guatemalan. Yes. What part, like, what did your family lean into growing up? Did you lean more into the Mexican side or to the Guatemalan side? Or was it a beautiful blend of both? Right away, I'm thinking definitely the Mexican side. My dad, it's my dad's side that's Guatemalan, my mom's side Mexican, which is actually interesting because I'm first gen on my dad's side. He was born in Guatemala, came over here when he was a teenager. And then on my mom's side, it was my great grandmother who came over here from Mexico. But yet that culture was, is just, it's just so embedded into us. The mariachi music. I used to dance by Le Folklorico, which is like the, you know, those big colorful dresses. I sing mariachi music. I sing ranchera. So we just, I, I don't know, just so heavily into the culture. So I would say we leaned definitely heavier into the Mexican side, but they are very close together. You know, they're bordering each other, Mexico and Guatemala. So um, a lot of similarities. I did still listen to, oh my gosh, now I'm blanking. My dad would kill me. The music from Guatemala, he's going to, he's going to kill me. I feel like I'm going to say it wrong, but Miramba, he's going to, anyway. I was looking for you to teach me that because I'm not sure. So it's like, it's like this really tranquil music. They they use um, like air instruments and it's, it's just really calm. So it was more of like a soothing time that we would put that on. But then when we're ready to dance, we're putting cumbia mariachi. Like, so we got a combo, you know, and, and definitely like the food I had from both. So I'm lucky for that. But yeah. So one thing I noticed is you say you grew up in Pennsylvania. Did you grow up closer to like Philly where it's closer to New York or did you closer to Pittsburgh, which is you know, more East Pennsylvania, diff, totally different, like demographic in that area. What was the demographic in the area that you grew up in? So we live about an hour from Philly. So New York wasn't too far. You know, we would go pretty much every Christmas to go check out New York City and the Christmas lights. And There's no place like New York for I Christmas. Know. I know. I've gone once during Christmas time and I'm like, I would love to go every year and I need to. I feel like this is just going straight into what we were talking about anyways. Like, (laughs) why am I thinking about it? I should just do it. Okay, continue. Sorry. (laughs) No, it's okay. I mean, it is. It's so, it's just like magical. You love it, but it it does get packed. So I could probably do it every other year just because of how it's like your sardines. So it's been a while since I've gone there, but we were fortunate to go to be able to do trips and um, we'd go into Philly. Philly, mostly I feel like I had, a cousin who went to temple. So I'd go visit her a lot there. We were able to enjoy the city life, but we lived in the Lehigh Valley 
So it's a lot more rural. I lived in a town called Bath, Pennsylvania. So it's not at all city life. So um, Bath with I an E at the end? No E at the end, just oh, B-A-T-H, Bath. Bath. Yeah, <laughs> we moved there when I was in fifth grade. And um, yeah, we moved a lot, but all within the Lehigh Valley. By the time I got to Bath, that was my like fifth home. Um and we just kind of hopped around, but still within that area. So it was more, um, you know, smaller, but still had the the luxury of going to the different cities as well. So it was good. It was a good mix. When you, in the areas that you grew up, was it a very, because I've never really, I always find it really interesting in regards to pockets of places that are very like, oh yeah, this area is very Puerto Rican or, oh yeah, there's a lot of Dominicans in this area mm-hmm. in these really random cities, right? Like outside. Sure. So just in the area in that valley that you grew up in, was there a lot of people that came from communities of color in that area? Were you guys one of the only ones? Like how was, was it easy to navigate because there was other people like you or were you like, there's nobody like me? Um, how do I, how do I manage this? Mm-hmm. So in my town, Bath, so a lot of my other family lived in areas, Bethlehem. I first was in Allentown. There's more diversity there. But when I moved to Bath, there was close to no diversity. And I was one of, I think one of less than five Latinos in my whole high school, like the whole high school. So as I was saying, I was really into my culture. I loved our music. And on the weekends, I'd go out dancing my with my dance group doing Ballet Folklorico. So I was fortunate to be able to connect, to still have that connection through them. But they weren't really in my specific location. So then I would go to school and no, no one looked like me. No one understood the culture that I was loving. And as far as how, you know, how it felt and like whether it was difficult, I wouldn't necessarily say it was difficult, but because I was fortunate to still have such other close bonds with my family, with that dance group, there was definitely encounters that I would have being in a a fully pretty much all white school. They can be ignorant, you know? So, but I was also not afraid to approach the ignorance. And if I needed to confront a classmate of mine. <laughs> so, you know, tell. Well, <laughs> did that make you feel like you had like two separate lives a little bit, you know, and I was thinking about this not too long ago, how it was interesting that oh, I think only once did my friends from high school come see me perform and like dance. They, they did come, but it was probably only one time. And, and what else was interesting when I was thinking about it, that I never told them about it really. Like they, knew because I would mention it from time to time, but I didn't straight out and invite them. They kind of were like, well, we want to go. We want to see. And I'm like, I was shocked. Like, Oh, you do. All right. Well, we're going to be at this Mexican restaurant in Bethlehem. Like come check it out. And they loved it. So it's not necessarily that they wouldn't have been open to it, but for some reason, yes, I do feel like I was keeping this like separate world, two separate worlds. So I didn't integrate it a little bit, but I guess I probably could have done that more. I know. Isn't it amazing what you think about when you're an adult, when you think about your childhood and you're like, oh, I never thought of it that way. Or, oh, I never thought of it that way. Or the the responses that we had. What is your role within? And there there is a reason I'm asking this question because, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm the oldest of three girls. So my role was always obviously big sister. My mom didn't work a lot. So it wasn't, I didn't necessarily have to take on the mom role, but I definitely had to take care, like, a caregiver role to my sisters because I'm five and seven years older than them when we're younger. Mm, Yeah. So it was a lot of helping them out, a lot of helping my mom out, you know, anything like that. But I still got to be a kid, which I appreciate. What was your role within your family? Did you have brothers and sisters? Where, where do you land on that? Cause I always was like their protector as well. Something was happening that I felt like they shouldn't be seeing. I'd try and distract them. Let's go here. Let's go here. You know, whatever. Mm-hmm. That was my role. What was yours? So it was, it's me and my brother. There's only two of us. So I don't really feel like I had to be the mom role at all. We're only two years apart. So we were definitely closer in age. I mean, there were times where I felt like, yeah, I would protect them if like neighborhood kids were messing with them or something, then I was going to be the tough big sister. But, you know, that didn't have to happen all the time. So, yeah, I didn't have to play the mom role. But I do feel like growing up, for whatever reason, I, I just like 
matured early. I started working when I was 13 years old. I just would walk down to the golf place. It was like a miniature golf and ice cream shop kind of thing. I wanted to work. Nobody told me to, but I asked my mom, will you come with me? I heard they hire, cause it was like obviously under the table. I heard they hire young. Like I want to start working. So I wanted to take on that thing. And all I did, I worked and then I would be able to buy the shampoo that I wanted or, you know, like the top that I wanted. Like I want, I didn't want to have to rely on my parents and bother them to ask them for those different things. So I wanted to just kind of start working and gain a little bit of independence young. I'm trying to think. My first job was at Target Mm. as a cashier, but it was because my parents got me a car and they're like, you need to help. But then as soon as I started like playing softball and everything, that was my job. Right. Mm -hmm. So I always love hearing people's like first jobs and everything too, because I think, but especially like being a 13 and wanting to work and having that mindset, that's really young to have that mindset and want to work. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. I still, I can't really remember exactly why, but it was, it was just to have that independence to be able to buy certain things that I preferred and not have to rely on them, not have to keep asking them, can you get me this? Can you get me that? I just wanted to be able to do it, do it on my own. Yeah. When you guys moved a lot, was it for particular reasons that you guys moved a lot? Was it trying, were you guys as a family trying to figure out where you belong, trying to chase something? Like what was the reason of moving so much especially just in the same area at such a young age? Yeah, we were renting most of the time. And a couple of times I know it was just like at least one time to get out of a not so great area. I know, remember hearing that story when we were young, just trying to like find a, a, you know, better area. They wanted as kids, us to be able to grow up in a better area. So we moved around for that. And then um, at that point we were still renting. So it was just kind of like rental homes until my parents were able to purchase their first home. So then that's when we, when we moved into Bath, that was their first home purchase. And it was really exciting. Can, okay. I see you smiling when you're talking about this. So I feel like there's some emotions behind that of your parents buying their first home. Well, I just think, so when they, when I was really young, they tried to build a home and, you know, I think my mom like changed jobs and they just weren't able to secure it. So I know that that was like a bummer for them. So then they were doing the, you know, renting and things like that. And then they were just finally able to get their house. And that house is just, they're not there anymore. They did move since then, but we were in that home for Oh man, well over a decade. I mean, I think maybe 15 years or something like that. And just the memories, they used to throw really good parties. (laughs) So, and they would like have the whole backyard mariachi would come. It was just their pride and joy. It was like their, the Casa de Vega. I don't know. I don't, it was just so, (laughs) it was so much fun and, and just their, their pride and joy and knowing how hard they worked and everything that they did to, to be able to provide like that. Yeah, it definitely brings a smile to my face. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, that's what I was saying, like, because I could see it as you were talking about mm-hmm. it, the smile. And I think just all the memories and like we would, they would host all the holidays. You know, we'd have like a Thanksgiving table of 30 line, like when it was a sit down meal, they would line it up and everybody had their table setting and like a whole long table of wow. 25 to 30 people. And it was just, yeah. So there's just so many memories in that house. Oh, you're making me miss like the times of us growing up and always having people over and mm-hmm. like always having cookout. Like our place was the place that we would always do these things. Yes. Man, you're just making me miss it so much. I know. It's good times, good memories. <laughs> and I'm not married and I don't have any kids. So I'm like, I know nope, didn't happen. <laughs> I've cookouts with my neighbors at my apartment sometimes. Oh, that's good. <laughs> Hey, they become family too. So you eventually got into nursing and I'm like kind of skipping forward. But the Mm -hmm. reason I was asking like who you were in your, like your role in your family is because oftentimes it tends to be the caregiver in the family that goes into medicine. That didn't run in the case in my family. My sister, my youngest sister wanted to be a doctor. She's a nurse Mm -hmm. practitioner. Oh, and so, yeah. And so, but since she was little, she was like, she knew she wanted to go into medicine. Is that something you felt a call to early or is it like something you figured out going as you're going through college, as you're going like navigating life? How did you find your way to nursing? Throughout high school, I noticed kind of like my strengths were science and math. 
So I thought that would be good to, to kind of pull on that, but I still didn't really know how. And then I talked to an older cousin who was a nurse and she raved about it and said how much opportunity it had. So I thought I could um, go into that. And the, the, honestly, the other reason was job security, which again, I don't know. I mean, I was just in high school, but that, that crossed my mind. I'm like, okay, well, I'll know I'll be able to get a job easily if I become a nurse. So that's really how it, it, I got into it. And I do, you know, I feel like I'm a very empathetic person and just being able to help people in that way, that sounded really good to me. That's kind of where I came from. Well, I will say this, when you're in a hospital, the nurses make all the difference. Like legit make all of the difference. Of course, you see them more than you see your doctor. You Mm -hmm. see them more than, you know, you interact with the nurses more than you interact with pretty much anybody else while you're Mm -hmm. definitely even, you know, if you go to a regular dot, well, yeah. I mean, especially in the hospital, you're, you're just that those are the people you're interacting with. So be nice to your nurses. Don't be an (laughs) asshole. Yes. To your nurses. Doing the best they can. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah. I was, um, fortunate to get into rehab nursing, like physical rehab. And that's a really rewarding field because we do get to spend a lot of time with our patients. They're there for about two weeks at a time. So it's not as quick of a turnaround as like an acute care hospital, um, which that is where I'm at now. But previously I spent about 10 years in rehab nursing and just the being able to see them after, you know, an injury or a severe condition or whatever it was that they were dealing with to then leave our hospital stronger and, you know, ready to get their back on their feet and ready to, to pick up kind of into their lives was a, I can't even describe like how amazing that is. And that that's exactly why, you know, I did go into it is just to be able to make that impact on someone's lives. Yeah. Then you decided to go one step further and get your master's mm-hmm. in nursing. How, like how many years of nursing did you have before you decided you want to get your master's and how stressful was that? Uh, okay. So I think I was working for only a handful of years. I knew right away, probably from high school that I wanted to get my master's. That was my mom's a teacher. She has two masters herself. Mm. And (laughs) I think she just kind of grooved me into the mindset of like higher education. So that was kind of a goal from early on. So I was only working in the field for about two years in nursing. They require you to, or at least they did then maybe things have changed, but they require you to get field experience before you can go back. So I worked for a couple of years and then I started going just part-time because I was still working full-time. And I actually contemplated nurse practitioner. You mentioned how your sister is a nurse practitioner. And I thought possibly that's something that I would want to go into, but I did pick a different route and I, I really think it's been beneficial. I went into healthcare leadership instead. And so as far as stressful, because I went part-time and I was working second shift and I didn't have kids and you know it was just... It wasn't as bad because I was able to kind of, I did it year round part-time. So it was just like one class that I could focus on at a time. And yeah, I was working, but it it worked out. That schedule was really good for me that I could do schoolwork in the mornings and then go work my shift. So it went really well, thank goodness. So yeah. How long did it take for you to finish your master's? Three years. What would it normally be? I think you could probably get it done in maybe a year and a half or two I, well, my sister faster. did a program in Oklahoma City that was 20 months, I think. It was yeah, like so I was gonna say, probably less than two years you could get it. But I was just doing one class at a time, part-time. So, Well, I love that you're saying that because so often we think we have to jump all the way in or not at all, right? But you're like, look, I'm working full-time. I can't go back full-time. And mm-hmm. you decided to take your time with it. And then it allowed you to not be so overwhelmed Uh because I think so often we just, the hustle culture is starting to wean, right? Yes. We still need to, you need to hustle in what's going to be best for your mind and your body as well. Not just like, I feel like we've been so ingrained with this hustle culture, but then we tend, then people burn out because they're just burning everything at both ends. 
Yeah, you can't. You have to do what's best for you also in that moment. Like, yes, that was my goal to accomplish my master's degree. But if I would have tried to do any more than that, every day would have been awful, would have been stressful. And that's not then worth it. So in that moment, what was best for me was just to kind of one class at a time. I knew I would get, you know, reach my goal. I was taking the steps. It's not like I wasn't taking any action towards it. And one day at a time. And and, it, and then now looking back, I can tell you it wasn't that stressful. It was good. It was a good pace. And, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't like this awful time frame. Yeah. So that's good. Wine break. Time to refill that glass and come back for more wine and cheese minutes. Skincare should be fun. And finding tu proprio skin regimen that you can look forward to todos los días es posible at Ulta Beauty. I'm in my mid-40s and I've changed my skincare routine several times porque unfortunately, as we age, our skin just needs un poquito de amor más a diario. I make sure to visit Ulta Beauty for the latest skincare products that allow my skin to reach its full potencial. Ulta Beauty is the leader in skincare with a broad and inclusive assortment of skincare products where you too can take the journey para descubrir el potencial de tu piel. If you currently don't have a skincare routine, corre to your local Ulta Beauty and they will help you find los productos perfectos to meet your skin's needs and empieza a amar the skin you're in. ¿Qué esperas? Go ahead and head over to Ulta Beauty to shop for all your skincare needs. At what point did you start pinpointing, like, did you realize that you needed stress management for yourself, right? Like, did you start saying, like, this? these are the strategies and mindset that was helping you through after you get your master's? I'm sure there was an elevation in job or you go somewhere else. And what was that moment where you're just like, crap, like, I need to figure out how to get my mind right to get through this and start figuring out what those things were? I probably several situ, you know, periods where several was, throughout the day, yes, right? Right. Yeah. Every day there's several, <laughs> but one, so one scenario where I was like, Oh my gosh, the stress level is too much that I can think of right away. was, I became after my master's, I took on a nurse manager role, um, at that, the rehab hospital. And, um, I also got pregnant with my first child. So that amount of stress that I was dealing with at that time, because we also, I was picking up several other roles. Like there was no nurse educator. There was no nursing scheduler and it was all falling onto my role, the nurse manager role. And it was extremely overwhelming. I wasn't getting, you know, uh, work-life balance. Like I wasn't getting out of there at any decent hour and it was a lot. So I made the bold decision to go ahead and quit while pregnant which was so stressful in itself, but I knew that, um, kidding. <laughs> I knew that I needed so to stressful, back yeah, me off. drinking it. Drinking I know, it. right. That deserves a civil wine. I agree. But yeah, I knew that, um, if I stuck with it, it was just going to be like the whole time, you know, I'd be stressed. So I had to make this drastic decision, which I I did. And I definitely have no regrets when I left after I left, they realized, you know, what was going on and they went ahead and hired additional roles. Right. So it made a difference for the person coming on. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm just glad that they didn't keep doing that to somebody else too. So, so that was one situation. And then just in general, another time where I realized, okay, I need to start managing stress and really anxiety. I feel like after I've had, um, my kids, my anxiety level has gone way higher than it was before. It would come from time to time, but it was definitely more often that job would give me the anxiety left that I was feeling better. And then I had a couple, you know, I had two kids. So I think the it's just the whole thing that we were talking about earlier, how when you're a kid, you don't have all these other worries, you know, you don't know enough. So you're just living life carefree. And as we get older and we know all the risks out there in the world, it can really affect us. And I think having these two little children of mine, they're like my heart's on the outside of the, of the world here. It just really increased my anxiety. And so I wanted to get a handle on that so that I can enjoy my day-to-day life and my moments with them and the rest of my family. And, um, 
And that's when I started really getting into this meditation and really trying to do growth mindset work so that I can have a better sense of calm just in general. Not that I never have anxiety. Absolutely. I do, but putting in this, this work, this mindset work with meditation and journaling and, and deep breathing exercises has made it just better. Things that used to maybe affect me don't as much anymore. So those are the two situations I can think of. So where I know you said you started with, with meditation and growth mindset. What were the first meditations that you found? Were you going to YouTube? Mm-hmm. Were you going like, where were you going? Cause I, I think everybody, there's so many different places, right. To go for meditation. And I feel like people are not sure where to start. Yeah. Like, and I want to meditate, but where, what am I supposed to meditate to? What is this supposed to be? Then you have all these frequency things. And how do I know if this is correct? Like, where did you start? How did you figure out what was best for you? Yeah, I think it can seem like, you know, we don't know what, and I'll, I was the same way. I didn't really know what I was doing. And that's why it's a practice. Like a meditation is a practice that we have to literally practice so that we get better at it. But if we give it a little bit of effort and time, we'll start to feel the benefits. And so I did literally go to YouTube because also I was like, well, I don't, I don't have the time for this to just sit still. Like, you know, that was another thought that I had. So I thought, well, let me just start with a a five minute meditation. I can, I can swing that. I can fit that in somewhere. I think I was doing it mostly over my lunch break. I have an office, so at least I can shut the door and I did it over my lunch break and I YouTubed five minute meditation. And if you YouTube, if you search that on YouTube, it's a great little five minute meditation. It's guided. So the person tells you, you know, to take deep breaths, close your eyes. They really explain to you how to begin your meditation. And so just practicing with that until you feel comfortable and then you can move on to, I use music or um, there's an app called insight timer, I think it's called, and you can set timers on that. And I, I do prefer sometimes just like a soothing music. Um, and then focusing on my breath. And I still, even though I've been doing it for a little while now, I have to practice. Like I still have to practice and remember, you know, cause it's so easy to start thinking of other things. And that's the point is just to so really try easy. to clear your mind. So I keep focusing on my breath every time that happens. And even if it's not like a great session, you know, maybe I was still thinking of other things and I had to refocus several times back onto my breath. Maybe it didn't feel as good of a session as I would have liked to. It's still helpful. It's still beneficial. I still get up feeling a little bit more at ease. And that's the goal. Not yeah. to like beat myself up that like, oh, that was a terrible session. No, it's just it's like, the fact hey, that you got it done. You got exactly. something accomplished. I tried oh, it and I feel good. I'm going to plug my friend's meditation podcast. Oh, cool. Uh, my friend, Yvonne Hernandez, she has one called Decide Balance. Okay. And it's a five minute bilingual meditation. It's a lead meditation. Yeah. I love it. It is in English and Spanish at simultaneously. So she'll say something in English and then uh-huh. say it in Spanish and it's five minutes And I think, yeah, you're right. If you don't have a lot of time, sometimes just do five minutes. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, if I find, if I do those things at the very beginning, like first, as soon as I wake up, if I write my, you know, in my gratitude journal, if I do meditation, if I don't do it right away in the beginning, in the beginning of my day, I won't find time for it the rest of my day. Yeah. Are you a morning or an, or an evening I actually definitely not evening, but either morning or I still try to squeeze them in on my lunch break as well. So either, either, or, but evenings are rare once in a while, if I didn't, if I didn't get it in and I didn't get a chance to, and I feel like I really still need it for the day, then yes, I will do um, a little bit of meditation at night. I just, honestly, that's, it's going to put me to sleep and I'll barely stay awake. (laughs) So that's why I can't do the evenings. (laughs) No, same, same. If I do that, I will just knock out. Yeah. Um, You're still a nurse, but you're also helping people learn how to do all of these things. How did that start? Because did somebody like see you do it? Were you talking about it? Like how, because kind of going back to what you were saying is in your, in the bio, you're saying that, in nursing and medicine, it's always striving to improve. So I feel like that was probably innate in you, right? You're, you're always striving to improve. So you found these ways to help you improve. And I'm sure it helped you at work as well. 
but then what just helped made you decide or how did that come about where you were starting to help other people figure out what is best for them, how to do these things, how to be able to calm themselves and, and do all of that. How did you go from I'm doing it and now I'm going to help everybody. Do yeah. It. So it started with a blog that I started writing. Actually, I created the blog Life's Risk Management. That idea came because um, after the nurse manager role, I really switched gears into quality. So I'm an RN and I work into in the quality field for hospitals. So that's where the improvement piece came in. And through quality, we learn a lot of different tools and strategies for improvement so that, you know, whenever there's an issue, we can just pull on to a tool or some kind of method that you incorporate so that you can streamline some improvement. And that's when I was like, well, these are really, these are really good tools. We should, we can use them for our stressful situations that we come into and face in day-to-day lives, you know, in our day-to-day lives. So I thought I'm going to write a blog and I'm going to explain these tools and how we can apply them and and like pull different topics of how you can really put them into use. And so I started that in March of last year. I was doing that for a while, for a few months, but what I felt was missing is people were telling me they were helpful. You know, I would hear, get some feedback, but then they would have maybe a little bit of questions about like, well, what about for this situation? How would I do it? And I, I just felt like what I was missing is actually guiding someone through it and really helping them use these tools. And so, and the mindset work really came from, I just got into it. Like I said, for myself with my anxiety, I started really trying to do all those different things, meditation, journaling, all that. So I combined it. I combined the the strategies, the tools from like industry, and then your mindset growth work and combining those together, I, I really felt would be powerful, but I wanted to get that across directly. Like I wanted to just talk to people and I'm writing, but I can't speak with them. So in August, I started offering one-on-one sessions and I just love it. Love working with people and helping them and seeing them grow and seeing them just be happier. Does it like because you are a nurse and you have that background? Do you are you do you come at it at a different way to be able to give people these tools and help them work through it? Does being a nurse change your approach in the way that you work with people to be able to? Because obviously, when you have anxiety and when you're not calm like all of the storm inside can culminate in our health, right? Good and bad. So does that come into your mind? And then do you come with that approach of this is why we need to do it because it's not only good for your mind, but it's good for your body. And I don't want to see you in my hospital, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm, I encourage my family, like my, my dad, I've been telling him, I want him to meditate more, which he has been because I truly believe it's better for our health as well. And then just how you mentioned about, do I approach it differently? Cause I'm a nurse. One thing I do think is because of working in the nursing field and being able to handle really stressful situations, you know, people coding or just, just, the high demands of being a nurse and it's really stressful. And I was also a leader in that area. So I had to stay calm even during that chaos. So when I get to speak with people, of course they're coming to me because they're stressed. They have something chaotic going on. There's a lot of emotion and I'm able to be that calm that they need in that moment so that we can work through these things together to see what their next step is, to see, you know, what it is that they truly want. So I feel like that has helped me that, that being able to maintain calm in a stressful situation, I think because I was a nurse, I had to do that often. And now I'm able to, to apply that when I'm working one-on-one with everybody. So I know you said that you have two young young children, you're still working full-time, you're doing this. How does your husband support you as you navigate both of these things that you're doing? How does he help you at home? Because obviously nobody can do it by themselves. They need, and not everybody has a spouse to help them. You do. Mm -hmm. So how does he support you in regards to all of the things that you're doing? Well, I think the first piece of it is that he believes in me fully. So that helps because, you know, it's really hard if you have these goals, these ambitions, and your partner isn't, you know, aligned with it and doesn't 
fully believe in you. So the fact that he just, he believes in it completely, he supports it a hundred percent. It's a big help. And then also, of course, just at home, he'll help with, you know, cooking dinner and he's on boy duty right now, of course, you know, like he just does the baths, does the nighttime routine. If I'm, if I have a couple nights of the week where I'm going to work on, you know, my, my side business, he, he jumps right in. And even sometimes I wonder like, is it a lot? Am I doing, am I doing too much? You know, of course you have those thoughts. Um, and there was a week where a couple of weeks from the holidays that I didn't really schedule anything in the evening, but I, I kept all my nights free and, and he made a comment like, Hey, you haven't had anything recently or, you know, cause I usually tell him like, Hey, Thursday, Friday, whatever I have X, Y, and Z, you know, we keep in um, good communication about it. So he knows. And he questioned like, what's going on? There hasn't been anything going on recently. Is everything good with your business? And I'm like, yeah, it's the holidays. I'm just like, you know, taking a break, but thanks. That made me feel good that it's not a burden or anything that he, you know, steps in with the boys and everything. It's, he's more than willing. So that's- And your husband's Dominican, right? He's Dominican. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, it's just because, you know, when you think of Dominican men, generally. Right. He's very- Most flattering things come up. He's very Americanized, you know, he's not like <laughs> first time we went to DR was he went to DR was on our honeymoon. So he's very Americanized. He's cool with it. Um, <laughs> he, you know, <laughs> I don't have to worry about those typical. Does traits. he do these things with you? Does he meditate with you or do you guys do those things separately or does he even do them at all? He doesn't really. He's tried it. He's tried meditation for me because, you know, of course, I encourage it. And he's done it here and there, but nothing, nothing consistently. Uh, so he's not, he's not on board yet, but I am working on it. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, talk to me in a couple months. Yeah. <laughs> and there you go. How are some of the, the ways that people can feel calm? Because one of the things you say is they, you want people to feel calm, confident, and competent. Yes. Because, and part of that, I relate to because I have major imposter syndrome, Mm -hmm. major imposter syndrome Mm -hmm. when I'm in the middle of, well, I'm just, okay. I'll just use me as an example, right? When I'm in the middle of doing something, I feel very confident in what I'm doing. And then there's a, I usually work one of two ways. So I feel very confident in what I'm doing. And then afterwards I'm like, I need all of the words of affirmation. Like, oh yes, you did the right thing. You did the right thing, right? Because afterwards I'm like, oh my gosh. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Like as I'm doing it, I feel like, yes, I know what I'm doing. But then afterwards I'm like, oh my gosh, I hope that was good enough. Oh my gosh. Like I'm constantly second guessing myself afterwards until somebody tells me, somebody else says, good job, right? Yeah. Then I just started a new job. So um, last week was very, very crazy. And I felt like I was talking to a friend and she was asking me these questions and it was like my first full week at work. And I felt like I said, ah, I feel like a fembot from Austin Powers where you just start twitching and my head's going to explode. Yes, I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. I used to watch those movies all the time. Yes. And I was just feeling very, very overwhelmed because Um, and I got through it and it was fine. But at that moment, when somebody's asking me all these questions and I just start, I'm like, I don't know yet. Don't ask me these questions. So in those types of situations, Uh I'm sure I'm not the only one who's gone through that. How do you tell people to be able to, because obviously when you're in the middle of it, it's hard to center yourself, right. And, Mm -hmm. And calm yourself. And because the more excited you get, the more the anxiety, right? Mm-hmm. The anxiety level rises. If I'm feeling in the middle of all that chaos, how do I feel calm, confident and competent? <laughs> yeah. As it's occurring. Right. Yeah. Well, so the quick method when it's in the middle of it is just a deep breath, like deep breathing right then and there. Cause you can't step off and meditate, you know, meditation is great because it gives you that foundation of the serenity so that when you do encounter the chaos, you don't flare up as quickly, you know, it gives you like that serenity foundation, but then once you're in it and you already are starting to feel that way, taking a couple of just deep breaths, even as that person's like chatting away and asking the 50 million questions, deep breaths, don't even be concerned if you're missing her questions, you know, because that's her problem for talking that fast and and asking all those questions. So deep breaths. And then, and then being able to, once you're ready, communicate with that person because you're not going to try to keep up at their hundred mile an hour pace. That's not what you're trying to do right then and there. And you don't have to. And then as soon as you're ready, 
circle back with them. What was that first question again? Don't even let their way influence you. If that's not how fast you want to go, there are people who talk a hundred miles a minute and sometimes I'm up for it. And maybe sometimes I'm not. And so then if we're not up for it, just start deep breathing and they can do whatever they want. They're on their own, you know, level with their own pathway there. And then just when you're ready, reconnect with them again and let them know where you're at, because it's not fair for you to try to force yourself into someone else's level. Yeah. And then, um, what was the other one that you said? Oh, the, um, not feeling like, so when you, that's like the confidence piece, I think, right. Like you, you feel good in the moment, but then afterwards it's like, wait, reflecting back. Like, did I say everything? Did I do everything? And the first thought I have for that is, oh, well, it's, it's done. It's done. And oh, that's so hard though. I know. I know. It's, it's so, so hard, hard to be like, oh, well, it's done. But I will say this. Good is the enemy of great. And I fully believe that, right? Great is the enemy of good, excuse me. Like if we're constantly just on trying to perfect everything, like it's mm-hmm. it's gonna just rack our brain. Right. And so I have to try and remind myself, like if I'm if I always if I'm trying to be a perfectionist, nothing will ever live up to what I think it should live up to. Mm-hmm. But if I stop and I'm like, okay, I'm done. You know what? It's done. Then okay. I can always go back and edit it or whatever if it needs to be edited, but then it's done. But if I'm striving for perfection, it's never going to be done. Perfection isn't, you know, none of us are perfect. So you'd rather be more, you know, authentic and what we can all relate to, you know, than trying to strive for that impossible perfection. And I don't think it's bad. What I was going to say is I don't think it's bad to reflect back on the situation. You know, that is completely okay. And reflect back on it. If there was anything that you learned from it that you do want to do better for the next time, great. You know, absorb that, learn from that, and then be proud that you did it and celebrate that win that you you moved into the direction that you wanted to and you did it. And that's it. And then and then it is, oh, okay, it's done. It's done. <laughs> so the last two years we've been living in this high anxiety time. How have you been able to navigate, I mean, especially working in the industry that you work in, how have you been able to navigate it? And how do you suggest others, you know, because sometimes meditating doesn't work for people, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes they can't sit still long enough Mm -hmm. or they're not willing to, because it can be really difficult. Five minutes can be very difficult. Sure. So what are some other tools that you suggest to help people get through like I said, we this high anxiety time that we're living in and the stress that comes with that. I would say two things. One, if the first part I thought of is if you can't sit still, then maybe just getting some movement and going for a walk and get those those endorphins and, and all that good, you know. Because meditation doesn't necessarily need to mean you're sitting down in a room, right? You can meditate as you like as walking can walk. be your form of meditation Mm -hmm. or working out can be your form of meditation. People tend to clear their minds at those times. Exactly. And you're you're still getting those good hormones going that are going to help reduce the stress hormones and increase those hormones that are going to make you feel a little bit better. So go ahead and move. Like if it's not sitting still meditation, then just whatever kind of movement you're up for. And then the other thing that I think is so important that I've really been trying to practice is just literally enjoying each moment, every little positive thing that you, you see, like really feeling grateful for all the things that we do have, because there's so much going on right now. There's so much that we could be stressed about that. We are stressed about that. We're worried about people losing their lives. I mean, it's bad. It's stressful. Absolutely. And so what I'm trying to do is enjoy things like there was a beautiful sunset happening tonight. So after I got out of the car, I only had one of my kids at that point and we just stopped and I was like, look at the sky, look how pretty it is. And I just like, let's just enjoy this moment because that's what we have to do right now is enjoy all those little things or I'll literally just stop. And when they, the two of them are running around playing and I'm, you know, laughing, smiling, and I'll, I'll just stare at them for a moment. I'll stop with the dishes And I just look at them and soak that in because it's all those little beautiful moments that I don't know why I'm getting a little emotional, but all those little beautiful moments, that's what's going to keep us going during such difficult times. Yeah, I agree. 
And we so often are lost in the moment in our phone mm-hmm. that we don't appreciate the moments that are right in front of us that we, yes. you know, I think. Oh yeah. And I have to do that. I'll tell, I'll, I'll mindfully say, put your phone down. Let's like play hungry, hungry hippo for a while <laughs> or whatever they're up for, you know? Um, definitely. Cause it's so easy. There's so much going on. And to add to that, if you're not enjoying every moment, we don't beat ourselves up over that either. You know, it's not like, Oh, I missed the sunset today. Like I should have enjoyed that. No, like it's okay. Pick something else or, you know, enjoy what you're doing in at that moment then. And don't, don't stress over, you know, then not feeling like you're always in the moment that it is a hard thing to do. And that's why you have to be mindful of it. Yeah. How can people learn more about you? How can they read your blog? How can they get tips? All of that. Can you share your website, your social media, all of those things? Sure. So my website is www.lifesriskmanagement.com. And you can find me on Instagram at life's underscore risk underscore management. That's usually where I am is Instagram. I, I have a Facebook as well, but definitely my blog, DM me, you know, I'd love to hear from everyone. You have such little pretty inspirational quotes and stuff on your, on your Instagram. I was looking at it today. It's always stuff that like, I'm like, Oh, I love that quote. So then I want to share it with everybody. (laughs) Yes. Now I want to, because I'm trying to be mindful of your time and everything, but I want to also give you the opportunity. If there's anything else that you want to share, please do so. Let me think. I don't know. I mean, if, if any of this, you know, felt like it could be helpful and you really want to learn some tools and strategies to apply to your own life, I'd love to work with um, you one-to-one. And I'm not sure when this is airing, but I do have a program that is like a group mastermind program where we um, will have three master classes, one a month for January, February, and March of 2022. We're in 2022 already. Yes. Oh my gosh. Well, I will say this. I really liked how you're dealing very specifically, helping people feel calm and feeling, finding their peace and doing that. Because if you can't do that, then it's very hard to translate that into any other thing, whether it's mm-hmm. your professional life or your personal life or anything else. So I really, when I was reading your bio and reading everything, I was really I really liked the fact that that's what you're concentrating on is teaching people tools so they can feel more centered so they can calm themselves so they can bring their anxiety down Mm -hmm. because I feel like we don't necessarily like we talk a lot about it, but we don't have people sharing how to do that. Like, you know what I mean? And that that's what really intrigued me. And I was like, oh, yes, of course I want to talk to her. Oh, well, thank you. Yes, you're right. I feel like we don't get to talk about it a lot. I mean, I had not been familiar with life coaching or all of these like tools and strategies and growth mindset. This is all, this was all newer to me. And once I learned of it, I mean, I dove in because I love it and it's so beneficial. And that's why I feel so strongly about sharing it with everybody because I do feel it's so beneficial and at the end of the day, we're just trying to live our lives to be happier. We want to live happy lives. That's the, that's the goal. I mean, absolutely. I don't want to be miserable. That's for no. sure. <laughs> well, if you, if any of this resonated with you, Mijente, please reach out to Christine on Instagram or her website. And until next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wine and Cheese Med Podcast. For more information on today's guest, please see the show notes for links to websites and social media channels. You can check out all things Wine and Chisme on our website, thewineandchismepodcast.com. There, you will find the names of wines I drink each episode, as well as additional information on me, the podcast, and you can even apply to be a guest straight from there. You can also find us on social media at The Wine and Chisme on Instagram and at The Wine and Chisme Podcast on Facebook. Remember, if you want to hear more Wine and Chisme, please subscribe, rate, and review. Five-star ratings are appreciated and those positive reviews are appreciated even more. Until next time, saludos.